0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Cale Guthrie-Weissman here, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail, as well as the host of this program. Um, This week, I have Jordan Nathan, the founder and CEO of Caraway, which is a cookware brand, and I'm really excited to talk about... Just the online cookware space, because it is a very hot area right now. Hey, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks
1: so much for having me, Kale. Excited to chat.
0: Absolutely. So first, just for, I feel like people have probably seen Caraway one way or another, but what's the what's the history? How What made you decide to get into uh, cookware?
1: Sure. Uh, about a few years ago, I uh, was cooking one night, just like any other night. I um, was using a Teflon-coated fry pan. Put it on my burner, ended up getting a call, I think, from my dad um, and forgot that the, the pan was still on the burner with the flame on. About 45 minutes went by and my apartment ended up being filled with fumes um, from the overheated pan. Ended up feeling pretty sick that night. So actually called po- the poison control hotline um, and they let me know that I was likely exposed to Teflon poisoning. And so kind of after this experience, I started going down you know, a deep rabbit hole online. Um, learning about Teflon, the dangers of it, and um, how simply just overheating a pan um, or scratching it can actually lead to long-term health effects, and so uh, really was excited to find something else to use in the space. And um, with Caraway, you know, our goal is to create non-toxic kitchen products that are much safer to use than what's on the market. And so this kind of really scary experience definitely, you know, was the the catalyst for for Caraway.
0: And what was your background before you became a cookware entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, well, I actually was in the the kitchen space as well. Worked at a company called Mohawk Group, which is now a a public entity, but um, joined as their 10th employee in 2015. Uh, They owned four consumer product brands when I first joined, and and most of those are very Amazon-focused. I ran Vremi, which was their kitchen brand, um, sold everything from cookware, bakeware, coffee coffee makers, pretty much everything in the kitchen, and uh, started as a brand manager for Vremi, eventually got promoted to the CEO of that brand, um, and actually had the experience of launching over 200 kitchen products. So, you know, definitely came into the category with some, you know, quite a bit of background, but, um, you know, the business strategy was was quite different because we were very focused on Amazon. It was very much about you know how can we launch as many products as quickly as we can that are lower price. You know they're not as focused on quality, maybe a little bit on design, but you know the 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 price point was really the core selling point. And so um, you know Caraway's been a great experience to really head into the more high design and, and higher quality direction and, and kind of the other side of the market.
0: So is Caraway on Amazon?
1: Uh, currently, we do not sell there today
0: interesting so you, you went the complete other side from from uh, a very Amazon focused to now just doing it all on your own website mostly other than I know you do have some wholesale which we'll get into too soon
1: yeah well you know we, we started mostly direct to consumer but we, we believe omni-channel is really the the way of the future at least in in our category and so you know we've quickly expanded to quite a few retailers and marketplaces but you know Amazon is a is a platform that really rewards Lower price points and brands who are willing to change their prices frequently and and for a brand like Caraway, until you're, I think, established and people know who you are and they know what your price point is, um, it's really hard to compete on that platform, especially at a four hundred dollar price point.
0: That makes sense. So I'd love to hear just beginning because we were at the beginning of how Caraway started. What is the process? Because I'm of like of sourcing the material. So how did you find it? Because I know that I, I get the feeling that maybe a lot of the thing, a lot of the different types of cookware out there are very similar in, in their makeup and where they're sourced, but you, you sort of your competitive difference is that it's a, uh, it, it's, it's a healthier version of Teflon that won't, that won't make people sick. And so how did you go about doing that kind of research and finding where you could get those kinds of materials?
1: Definitely. So we use a ceramic base, uh, non-toxic non-stick, um, you know, the, the early explorations, there there are a lot of materials on the market. There are stainless steel, you've got Teflon nonstick, um, ceramic nonstick, carbon steel, cast iron. Um, so there's quite a few materials. And I think one of the the core principles we wanted to build caraway around was creating products for uh for real life and for people who are home chefs. They don't need something that's super complicated to use. And so out of all those materials, we really we're drawn to ceramic, which had been in the market for almost 10 years. We, we weren't the first to bring it to market, um, but it's it's essentially kind of sat on retail shelves. Nobody's really told the story about it before, um, and it retains the same uh, uh, qualities as Teflon nonstick, but is just much more expensive to make, and no one had really built a, a strong, I think, strategy and story around it. And so we were really drawn to this material, and. Um, you know, pretty soon after started finding the the correct factory partners to work with. Of course, we use our own formulation of it. Um, but a lot of what we do is taking an existing material and just really building the story behind it and teaching customers as, as to why they should use it versus what else they've been using on the market.
0: So walk me through that, because I think that that's a really interesting thing specifically with cookware, because there are, you know, quite a few different cookware companies. Some of them are more legacies, others are new, and they all have a different story and price point. And so there are some that are maybe a little bit higher than yours that are going for people who are looking for chef grade materials or lower than yours that do an all in one. And then yours is sort of, you know, around $400, you said that and, and the idea is that it's, it's better for you and will, will last longer. So how, how did you come up with the way that you would tell that story? Was that through, you know, doing research early on? Or did you just know after you had that experience in your apartment that this was a big hole in the market?
1: Um, you know, the, the initial brand really stemmed from that experience when it comes to materials. But I think, you know, just like any other entrepreneurial process, um, when you're in the early days, you're talking with your friends, your family, you know, potential early customers, investors. Um, and one of the things we just felt really excited about that no one had really tackled was you had all these this influx of new direct-to-consumer brands, but also legacy brands. And everyone really seemed to be focusing on um how do you bring chef tools into the home? And, and for me, like, I'm not a great cook. I like to spend 15, 20 minutes doing it a night maximum. And I want something that's super easy. And, and we constantly kept coming back to this theme from, from people we spoke with um, that they wanted something that was easy to clean. They didn't want to have to think about it. That it need, didn't need to be complicated. You know, something like cast iron requires seasoning, stainless steel requires an understanding of heat control. Um, and we really felt like there was this just massive gap in terms of how do we create something that's not just non-toxic, but also for the everyday cook at home. And so um, we really built our story around that. And I think you see it a lot through you know, our photography and content as well. We don't do recipes. We feel there are plenty of recipes out there and, and people who can do it better than us. Um, and we like to focus more on the design, the non-toxic properties, the storage and organization element. Um, which all were, you know, kind of nuggets that we picked up through that research
0: process. Let's talk about the last year, because I feel like uh, there it's been a crazy year uh, for, for pretty obvious reasons for, for many different companies. But did, with everybody stuck at home, what did you experience in terms of demand or supply chain uh, as as I imagine a product that was probably in that people were looking for for new kind of cookware because they were cooking more at home? Am I incorrect in that?
1: No, I mean, we were, you know, very fortunate and, and lucky to be on the right side of, of the equation the past year. And, you know, I think all home categories across D2C and retail have been just just thriving with consumers staying at home. They're obviously putting more money into things at home than they were, you know, previously putting into experiences. And so there's definitely been a big renewed interest in cooking. Our product in particular um, I don't know the exact number at this point, but I know we've sold out over ten times in the past year. We've actually been out of stock more days than we've been in stock, and we're still just trying to catch up to the demand. Um, we've also seen a lot of uh, challenges with, with general supply chains from overseas. Lead times are longer, freights at its highest cost it's ever been. Um, and so, you know the I think demand in the category plus just supply chain challenges have been really interesting the past year, but, you know, I think I think for for better for this category. I think people who have never cooked before have gotten into the kitchen. Um, you know, they've experienced it, and we're still continuing to see, even though you know things are opening up, people wanting to be at home more and invest to make their home something more more personalized and, and comfortable for them.
0: Given that it was such a hot product and and part of you know overall home sales were exploding, did. Your, what sort of changed? Did you continue with product development? Did you say let's put it on hold and just figure sell what what we currently make? Sort of. How did your growth plans change given all the the craziness that happened the last twelve months?
1: Yeah, I mean we've leaned into really expanding our, our to our retail partners. We've leaned into expanding to new ad channels. Um, one of the big changes we made at the start of the pandemic was um, when we first launched in November of two thousand nineteen, which was just a few months before. Um, you know, COVID hit. Um, we were only focused on selling cookware sets, so you could only buy the three ninety five bundle. Um, and once once COVID hit, we actually quickly pivoted to, you know, offer an alternative for individuals who couldn't necessarily afford the four hundred dollar set at that point. And um, that was that was a really interesting. I don't know if I would necessarily call it a pivot, but it was definitely a, a shift that we made. And um, you know, we've seen a, a big boom in people coming to buy the singles and then they'll come back and buy the sets. Um, but all in all, it's been really just focused on expanding our channels and our retail. And um, when it comes to new products, we certainly are doing quite a bit of new development. But um, you know, COVID and not being able to go overseas to the factories has definitely slowed that development process down. So we put a lot of focus into just the core product. And um, I, think, I think for the better, we've learned that, um, really investing in that story and, and taking each product and not rushing the next one to market can make that first one even, you know, that much more successful.
0: Let's talk about the, the wholesale strategy, because I, I you're in a few different stores. And uh, how have you gone about choosing where you partner with? So I know, I feel like a few months ago, you were in Crate and Barrel. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Yep. Uh, we, we launched an exclusive with them in February.
0: Cool. And so, like, when, like, let's use Crate and Barrel as an example. What made you decide that that was the correct partnership to take, as opposed to other ones that you might not take?
1: Well, I, I think as a brand, we see distribution as an advantage. And if you, you know, think back to, you know, all the the legacy brands out there, whether it's this category or P&G or Unilever, you name it, um, even even a Harry's or Casper. All these brands, if you really you know, think through their competitive advantage, in most cases it came down to distribution strategy. And for a lot of the early D2C players, that that advantage was direct to consumer. There wasn't competition, Facebook and Instagram, advertising costs were low. Um, and so you know, entering kind of uh, into the scene in 2019, D2C is still a great channel, but We also want to be where customers are buying for the space. And so, you know, we see a certain demographic on our website, but we're also not hitting the people who are getting married or they're going to Crate and Barrel or West Elm to buy everything for their home. Um, And so as we think about our partners, we like to choose either marketplaces or retailers that reach different demographics than what we do on our website. And we we very much see them as acquisition channels. And, um, you know, I think as well, really give us the ability to offer different assortments than what's on our website which which we did with Crate and Barrel we launched an exclusive color sold out in 5 hours i believe it was one of their fastest sellouts in history and that was a really exciting moment where we kind of got to test you know the the power of the brand combined with you know a retailer that's really known for high design beautiful products and and everyone really trusts
0: so, what's the difference between the Crate and Barrel customer that was that fit within that exclusive product that you had compared to the normal Caraway customer on your website?
1: Um, you know, I think someone on our website is is uh, probably looks a little bit like the Crate and Barrel customer, but I think is is at a different cycle in, in their light or when they're shopping. You know, Crate and Barrels uh, renowned for being a destination for for high design. Um, We launched gold handles with them, which was super exciting. We've never done that on our website. Um, And it it is a destination where a lot of people go if they're furnishing a new home or apartment. We sell cookware. We don't sell anything else. And so, you know, I think for us, while someone could certainly come to our website, if they're at Crate and Barrel or they're on their website and they're buying maybe plates and, and glasses and some other items for their home, Um, You know, those types of purchases, we just would never, uh, a customer wouldn't come across us during that search. And so, you know, it positioned us to be in a really great position to capture those people within those life moments.
0: We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. So I know that you guys are on Food52, the Food52 Marketplace, right? Correct. Correct. I'm super interested in those types of marketplaces specifically for a company like yours. Do you view that, you know, it's it's a very curated experience. It has a it's a certain demographic that I imagine a lot of your customers are. Do you view something like Food52 and I'm I'm sure there are others too as kind of table stakes of, you know, we need to be there so that people see our brand there or like or how do you sort of conceptualize those kinds of marketplaces? Is it just sort of a a necessity or something that is important for for your, you know, growth and continue as you continue to scale?
1: I don't think uh, you know most of our sales do come through our website, so I wouldn't say any partner right now is is by necessity, but you know food 52 is is well renowned in the space, um, pr- probably a very similar demographic to what we see on our website. But you know as a brand, we want to be everywhere and we also want to be where our customers want to purchase. So if, if they're not comfortable buying from our website and they come through an Instagram ad, um, if you've been a Food 52 customer for the past 10 years, um, you know, it's it's a great place that has a lot of trust and, uh, you know, we're okay if you, you make that purchase from them. And so um, for us, we want to be everywhere, but we want to be with partners who really align with the brand and, you know, help us reach either the same or new demographic.
0: Got it. Are you planning on doing more of these kinds of partnerships or uh, you know wh- wholesale expansion over the next year? Or sort of how are you approaching what what what's going to come in the next few months?
1: Definitely, um, you know, direct to consumers still our core channel, so it, it's where we're putting most of our focus. And I think as time goes, uh, we'll we'll definitely do some more experimentation in, into retail. It's still still really early. People are just getting back into stores, so. Um, I think we feel maybe a little hesitant to, to go rush into brick and mortar, but but we're excited about it. Our product's really high quality. We really stand behind, you know, the, the design and the experience of actually touching and feeling it. And so, you know, over the course of the next year or two, we definitely want to see what the in-store experience looks like. And, and truthfully, it could end up being a different assortment than what you find on our website, um, you know, depending on, on what that customer is looking for. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're really excited to keep expanding and testing. And, um, you know, I think, I think uh, it, it'll be interesting to see where we land with what that strategy looks like and, and who we decide to move forward with when it comes to brick and mortar.
0: So do you think that it would definitely be, you know, a retail partner? Would you ever think about opening your own store or doing a pop up just, you know, to showcase j- just your own line? Or what's the, the thought around that?
1: Yeah. Right now we're, we're really focused on working with retail partners. We, we are a small team right now of 20 individuals. So, you know, I think taking on our own stores, while well, uh, I think is a great opportunity and, and really exciting. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a big endeavor to take on. And so, you know, I think before we were to go do something like that, we'd want to see how the customer interacts with our products with the retail partner first. Um, and I think eventually once we you know, keep expanding our product line and have more of an offering of just cookware, brick and mortar becomes a lot more interesting. But, you know, it's one of those opportunities that whether we do it today or in three or five years, it's, it's always available. And so, you know, it's something we, we are excited about, but I don't think in the short term, just given we're 18 months old, uh, makes sense for us at this time. You know, I'd rather put our focus into growing the website, growing the distribution platform, and then eventually expanding into that when we feel we're ready.
0: So you mentioned that you know supply chain has been a big issue, and you haven't been able to you know go to your factories for the last year. Is that alleviating at all? Sort of what what's the outlook that you're seeing in terms of you know you, you getting product in, you're you having more days where you're at, you can actually sell your products as opposed to being sold out. What's when do you think it's gonna sort of even out and become a little bit less uh, less bumpy? I guess.
1: Tough to say. I think we still have another year of of challenges. Um, You know, the Suez Canal, while it was cleared relatively quickly in maybe three or four weeks, is going to have another six months of repercussions in the whole supply chain just due to that quick, not even quick, uh, you know, the the delay. And so um, lead times right now we produce in Asia are are taking about 60 days. It used to take about 30. I think that will continue. Um, The whole category is doing really well. in, in particular with cookware and kitchenware. So lead times maybe used to be 60 to 75 days. They're now anywhere from like six to 12 months. Um, so, you know, it, it also takes time to, to actually catch up on your purchase orders. So once you kind of adjust to the supply chain, um, another change might happen and then you need to adjust your purchase orders and ordering schedule again. And so I think we've, we're have we looking at like probably another year of, of challenges, but you know, I'm hoping kind of towards the end of Q4 heading into next year, we start to th- see things clear up quite a bit. And and I do think, you know, with customers going out more n- now with, with vaccines out, um, you know, we, we might see some demand pull back, which will give, I think, the whole supply chain quite a bit of breathing room to catch up a little bit.
0: So are you able to do any like ambitious product development at all or is that just sort of still on hold until this all clears up over the next year?
1: No, we, we, de- we definitely are. We're working on uh, quite a few products right now that we're, we're super excited about. Um, one of the challenges is we just can't, go- we haven't been able to go over to the factories, which is where you can sell products on the assembly line and, and the, the tooling line. And so um, it, it's been challenging. I mean, even shipping samples back and forth, I'm sure you've ordered, you know, lots of products online over the past year that have gotten lost. You know, same thing happens in product development. We're shipping things back and forth. Things are getting lost. Um, it, it's just taking time. And especially, too, when uh, you're a brand like Caraway that really cares about the materials and the factory partners, you know, vetting those factories we're trying to do through video, it's, it's challenging. Um, exploring new materials and seeing how those are produced to see if they're eco-friendly is also challenging. And so these are things we've been working through. It just takes as you can imagine, a lot, lot longer to get these to market.
0: Yeah, that sounds. I can only imagine, you know, meeting new partners and trying to vet them when you're just using a computer screen. I don't. I don't think I would be able to do that. To be completely honest, like I wouldn't even know. I mean, you're the professional, so it's not like my job. <laughs> but I, that'd be very difficult for me to, to be able to do.
1: Definitely, and, and I mean, I live in a small New York City apartment. So my apartment right now has like like 30 pots and and lots of other products that we're we're working on. And and even that's been a challenge is just like having enough space for samples and, you know, playing with them and testing them. Um, So we've been, you know, even pretty nimble on the sampling process.
0: So have you been just, how does the testing work when it's, you know, you're in your small apartment and you're, uh, is it still all remote? Do you just do it in your apartment and, you know, slack or text your colleagues, this works, this doesn't, or do you have a space where you are actually have a test kitchen or something like that?
1: Um, I, I wish right now everything from home. Uh, we use couriers a lot in New York and send products back and forth. Um, and our industrial design agency we work with is in California, so a lot of shipping back and forth. And uh, you know, it's just communicating well, taking a lot of photos and videos. Um, but it's it's definitely like you know you lose that element of not being in the office and even just like putting a product into someone's hands and seeing how they touch it and feel it and interact with it. Um, you know, is, is usually something that's really important to the the product development process and um, something we've had to overcome. You know, being remote.
0: So you mentioned a little bit about marketing, but when you have a product that that's in high demand and you're dealing with a lot of supply chain woes, that means lead times can can be long or a lot of products are sold out. How have you approached the overall mar- marketing play? Like, what, has it have you been just sort of not putting your foot on the gas given that? they're they're such high demand or sort of what, what, what have you been focusing on?
1: Yeah. So we've been fortunate that customers, I mean, we, we've done quite a bit of testing over the past year, but you know, we, we have found that our customers are willing to buy their cookware at least three months out. So we, we've taken the approach over the past year of um, really just, I think over communicating on the website. And, and when you go to purchase, a, let's say a color that's out of stock or if all the products are out of stock, we usually put the estimated ship date, and, and it tells you when it's coming. Um, and so we still let you add to cart and purchase the product. It's just it's not necessarily a, a pre order, but kind of functions in a very similar fashion. And so you know we've continued to kind of sell through that model. Um, I'll be honest, it's not as efficient on on things like Facebook and Google as when you're in stock. You know your conversion rate drops, um, but we've been been lucky that. The, customer, the, the product's been in such demand that we've continued to sell through that model. And so we, we've, you know, continued investing into all of our ad channels. Um, it's been tough on the retail partners because we haven't had inventory for them, let alone our site. So it's definitely slowed down some areas, but, um, you know, hasn't, hasn't put us in a position where we've had to pull back all of our advertising spend. And, and you know, we've at least been able to grow month over month, even while out of stock.
0: Have you, I mean, is it predominantly Google and Facebook or are you, have you, do you do anything, you know, I don't know, have you been doing any more expensive things like, you know, either out of home or thinking about, uh, you know, like TV ads or anything like that?
1: No out of home yet. Um, but we, we you know, are very focused on Facebook and Google, like a lot of early stage startups. Um, you know, it's it's a massive, both are massive channels where there's still lots of room to grow. We're only 18 months old. Um, we built a influencer community of about a thousand influencers so far, um, who create this amazing ambassador program for us, where they're constantly posting on on Instagram and and YouTube and TikTok, and that's been just an amazingly powerful community that really loves the product and the brand, and and every time they're cooking, they're essentially monetizing their content by talking about Caraway, and so. That's been a great way not to just drive sales, but also drive awareness. That then feeds into the Facebook and Google funnels and, and makes the whole you know uh the, the whole marketing wheel more efficient. And so we, we've really leaned into kind of those three channels. And over the next few months, are really looking to expand into uh, some new digital channels. And I think eventually we'll you know make our way back out to out of home once people are out and about
0: more. For a brand like yours, who is the ideal influencer? Because is it. I imagine it's not necessarily like a chef. Is it just like a home cook or like what? what is what is their sort of profile type if you're going for someone who isn't necessarily like the, the most home cookie person or, you know, how do you definitely?
1: Yeah, we, we definitely have a number of micro demographics that we find that, that really work for us. But in general, um, interior designers or, or individuals who are very design focused do really well for us. Um, we work with a lot of ambassadors on uh, like their home renovations, which our, our customers seem to love watching those those processes of um, you know redesigning the whole kitchen or their whole home. Um, and so we've really leaned into that kind of design network. Um, and and it's interesting because no kitchen brand has ever ever really focused on that demographic. Um, and so we we've really carved out I think a, a great category there. And then um, you know a lot of the the keto the whole thirty a lot of the very you know health focused uh kind of cult like groups we've done really well in as well
0: Interesting uh so we're we're almost running out of time but I have one more question which is in the future you guys might do out of home again do you think that like the you're you're an 18 month old startup you yourself are based in New York will the subway hold the be as important as it was pre-coronavirus? I feel like that was sort of the big playbook was to do a subway buyout um, as a a startup. And then, you know, you would go in and you see the ads all over the walls. And it was, you know, a a pretty, pretty big investment. Do you think that that's going to go back to normal? Or where do you see sort of the out-of-home playbook going with people going outside differently than they did a year ago?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know the answer yet. I think a lot of it depends on how people are commuting after the pandemic and what Work life goes back to, um, but I, I fully expect things to go back to the same. So I think it'll be, you know, a really core, core out of home moment. But also, you know, I I think through like I think more people are are using pelotons and and you know I think items at home that have digital displays on them. And so I think there may be interesting opportunities on some of those new new platforms that have been developed in people's homes over the next year or two. I, I don't know if you'd call that out of home, but I think it's, it's um, you know, definitely a new channel where people are spending time and there are screens that, you know, eventually, you know, many of us will be able to advertise on.
0: All right, Jordan, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Great. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.